Welcome to Leeds Lit Fest 2020. The podcast you're about to hear was made by Chapel FM, commissioned by Leeds Lit Fest and funded by Leeds Inspired, part of Leeds City Council. Each writer profile was recorded on location in an environment in or around the city of Leeds, chosen by the writer. All events in Leeds Lit Fest 2020, March 4th to the 8th, can be booked at www.leedslitfest.co.uk. Take a second left past the stall which sells happiness. Six in a box, don't break them. Turn right and at the place which sells nail varnish in all shades of glory and distress, cut past an installation of shopping trolleys, designs borrowed from Burberry and Dali, and adjacent to the butchers selling cut price second chances. Roll up, roll up, get them before they're gone. There's a market stall where you can sit in. Here, a man cooks 10 things made from rose water and vows, journeys and longing, love and a father's blessing for a daughter's hand in marriage. Here, his wife presses her left hand to the flesh of the dough to flatten its indecisions into neat circles, which smell of home, which she pulls then from the oven. Look for a woman who could be you. She barely looks up above a table of books. She is sat writing down thoughts, translating loss into words through the medium of purple ink. Coming here is a ritual, a reason for rising from bad dreams, a reason for catching the number 16 to sit down at this table and be fed the bread from the fire, the vow of a mother the scent of rose water, the salt of the journey, the love and the longing and a father's blessing for a daughter's hand in marriage. And each time the man crosses her border of grief, he brings with him a small glass of Turkish coffee grown from white blossom thought and red cherry fruit. And he leaves it at the table's edge, along with sugar, just to remind her for this third podcast in the series. We're with Romy Smith. Hello, Romy. Good afternoon. And um, we're in one of your favourite places, a place where you spend a lot of time. In fact, we're about to go in there now. You might get a clue already from what you hear, but Romy, tell us where we are. Well, we, as you look at it from uh, the street facing, we are at the right-hand side entrance of Kirkgate Market, and we're at the entrance where Timpson's is and Malcolm Michael's Butchers, and we're going to visit a stall that's very special to me, and a stall that definitely is part of my sense of what Leeds is as a place, but also typifies just some of the richness of the city and something of... Um, what is dear to me most as a writer which is that the city is mapped in narratives we orientate we orientate ourselves via narrative we are stories I think that the market is a really important location for so many people but I think I would argue the city's creatives. I mean, it's really hard to make a living as a creative and to do what you're passionate about. And I think the market becomes a resource, a way for us to be able to live economically within this city. And 
for me it's a place that makes my life possible as a creative but it's also a place as I say that speaks to me and sings to me because it's about stories the exchange of stories those voices that call and response um, those narratives the banter the barter the kind of sense of ritual and routine of coming here all of that is you know it's richness in terms of the creative mind I've grown up on markets. The banter, the sense of the sound, the sense of the electricity. I've always thought that markets are like theatre. And I think Leeds Market is no exception to that. You walk sonically past any stretch of this market, you will hear... Um, fragments of conversation that suggest bigger stories that are beyond this space. They are stories of everyday mundanity, they're stories of grief, they're stories of loss. There's all sorts of things that you will overhear if you eavesdrop in this market. If you look above us, you sort of see the framework and architecture, a series of suspended glass night lights, an ornate green and burgundy and gold um, ironwork that sort of forms the ceiling. It's full of light. I think many people probably don't take or get the time because they're so busy dashing from one place to another to take time to stop and look up but it is amazing how much light this building lets in when you look and all these kind of pathways and gangways that are above us that sort of lead to who knows where they're not places that I have been or seen so there's a sense of the down here and then the up there the sort of gods bit if you kind of continue the theatre um, metaphor that, that we don't really see or experience but in a way us walking through with the people on stage with the performers if you like. So let's head down to your place. Could I get the chicken shawarma with salad and the bread and could I have a half cheese half satay? Probably started to come here in late 2012 um, 2013 it was just after I lost my mother and uh, I was feeling you know my mother one of the loves of my life and um, to lose her uh, was just a kind of incredible turbulent incredibly turbulent time and so I needed to find a way through that process of finding new rituals new ways of markers on a day-to-day -day of doing things I think that's one of the things that sort of grief requires I think is a, to, to find new ways that kind of give days meaning and so my ritual became coming here every day for lunch it was one of those things that I began to do and there's a beautiful story Hassan who runs the stall with his wife, Manice, we had not had a conversation at that point. But I was coming here every day and without saying anything, he started to pour a small cup of Turkish coffee and push it by my elbow and then walk off. And he began to do that every time I visited. And I began to see that as a wonderful metaphor for something. It was somebody reminding me. He would also, even though I don't take sugar, he would also push 
a bowl of sugar. So there was a, somebody reminding me of sweetness in the world, but also somebody reminding me of generosity. Those small acts that are beyond language, they're beyond even having had a conversation. There's something in the non-verbal there. And I have talked to him about it since. Um, about back in 2016, I created a piece for Compass Live Art which I performed here. Um, the title for the piece is interesting because I can't actually say what the title is. It's actually the coordinate for this part of the market. So that was its title. But that says everything was actually in a moment of turbulence. And I always go to poems like Caroline Duffy's Prayer. Prayer by Caroline Duffy. Some days, Although we cannot pray, a prayer utters itself. So a woman will lift her head from the sieve of her hands and stare at the minims sung by a tree, a sudden gift. Some nights, although we are faithless, the truth enters our hearts, that small, familiar pain. Then a man will stand stock still, hearing his youth in the distant Latin chanting of a train. Pray for us now. Grade one piano scales console the lodger looking out across a Midlands town. Then dusk, and someone calls a child's name as though they named their loss. Darkness outside. Inside, the radio's prayer. Rockall, Malin, Dogger, Finisterre. And it's a fascinating thing to think about that line, that final line being connected to something that goes out at those times to get orientate ships home so that they get home safely. But it's always occurred to me that anyone who's listening to the shipping forecast go out is also being guided home in the quietness of the world when the world's sound is turned down actually what you have is a voice that's speaking to you through those dark hours and so it's why thanks so much thank you very much thank you so just for the take i have had my wonderful zatar and cheese bread delivered so that was the reason for why I chose the title of that piece as the coordinates for this place because it's about being at sea and finding the places in life that locate you, where you feel a sense of location, where you feel a sense of place. Actually what was really easy about this place at the time was I didn't need to explain anything. I just could come here and sit and I read and I wrote and we were having a conversation but through this small ritual. And um, I found it deeply moving and it became a really important part of processing my grief at the time. And that's what the piece that I performed for Compass Live Art back in 2016, fall 2016 was all about, was about engaging people to have conversations in the way that we had a kind of growing conversation. Everybody was served Turkish coffee, everybody had some food together, we broke bread together and we ended up sharing grief stories, so that's what the piece became about. So that's why this store's important. It's also situated, as you say, on a kind of crossroads, on a corner, 
It's a great place for, for watching as well, for looking out. It's, it looked a, a bit like a lighthouse in a way. It's a great place for observation, traffic, watching the world go by. It's kind of this corner, as you're right. I often sit here on this bit facing out towards Spice Corner, which is the wonderful stall that sells every type of Caribbean spice I think you could lay your hands on, as well as green bananas and yams and coconuts, everything. And in a way, as a writer, here is a great place to be absorbed into the market, but also be slightly removed from it in a way. And that, from that vantage point, you observe all these stories and people, this kind of sense of traffic, the traffic of lives moving past this, this place. Romy, you're about to, um, to read us something from Rebecca Solnit. This is from her book, A Field Guide to Getting Lost, which was published in 2006 by Penguin. Page five it says, Certainly for artists of all stripes, the unknown, the idea or the form or the tale that has not yet arrived is what must be found. It is the job of artists to open doors and invite in prophecies, the unknown, the unfamiliar. It's where their work comes from. And um, whilst the market is a site of familiarity through ritual, it's also a site of the unknown because it's unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to pass. It's not the same lineup of cast of people that pass you each time you come here. So it is all about unfamiliarity. It's all about being in the moment. In a way, if you were to compare it to performance and draw out that theatre metaphor, the market is a kind of site of improvisation. It's sort of lots of different stories, lots of different happenings. There might be one day something that's kicking off at a stall. Then one moment you might encounter someone and have a conversation with them that you didn't intend to. You might meet somebody that you didn't intend to meet who you haven't seen for a while. I mean, the amount of times on that corner, by the way, I have met people who I have not seen for a while, but I've thought about, and we will stop and we will have a conversation. So that idea of that, that Solness is expressing of the unknown and opening a door in a way, that's what that stall symbolises. It was a way at a time of acute grief for me to kind of come and open a door. There's a poem called Open the Door and um, that asks you to open the door and even if there's nothing there, there might be a draft. And I think I see that market stall as that, is that sense of an opening a door at a time when things, lots of things felt closed. And also, market is a place of exchange, and so I suppose the opening of a door, you go in and you come out. But it, but it sounds like the project that you that you did there, the grief stories, was an exchange of stories in a way. And uh, you, tell us about some of the questions you asked people. Yeah. So, um, well, they asked me the questions, and there were six preset questions. We didn't know what order they were going to go in, so it was a kind of improvisation, a sort of controlled improvisation. And by the rolling of a die, um, would decide which order those questions came in. And one of the questions was, if you compared this market stall to a song, what would it be and why? And I took that then as an opportunity to play Nina Simone's I Think It's Gonna Rain Today. Really beautiful song, and it has that line in it, human kindness is overflowing, and I think it's gonna rain today. And that's sings in me in terms of that generosity, that kindness, the small cup of coffee, accompanied with sweetness and those reminders in that moment of 
great sorrow for me of, of, of goodness in the world, of connection, of um, small acts of compassion, not big grand gestures, but just small acts of sustenance and the ways in which that, those kind of things enable people to endure. Broken windows in empty hallways A pale dead moon in a sky streaked with grey Human kindness is overflowing And I think it's gonna rain today I mentioned a bit earlier that Chapel FM is going to be yondering for a while and we're going to be down here, um, which is over yonder for us from Chapel FM. Are there places that for you are yonder, places that you would like to explore, actual physical places or places within your writing that you are on the brink of, of entering or exploring? Well, I don't feel pigeonholed as a writer, although... Poetry is my, my compass, if you like. It's the main thing. It's my sensibility. It's how I occupy the world. It's that sense of striving to make a line as rich and as visual as I can. It's about image, image, image really within the poem and to really imbue uh, a poetic line with music and to be aware of its music and its shape and its structure and its body and the dance of the lines. I think that I write in lots of different genres. So I am writing at the moment libretto. And I'm writing, well, in fact, leader. It's for the soprano Carolyn Sampson. It's a commission from the great baritone and composer Roderick Williams. It's a response to Beethoven's To My Love Afar Off and an engagement with that narrative which is one in which we just hear the male voice so I'm looking as I do in a lot of my work at the missing voices at the absent and so I'm interested there in the missing female voice and her reply back so I'm writing a, a six uh, what's a what I'm calling a, a short story in six songs and that will be for performance at the Australian Festival of Chamber Music in July 2020 so July of this year place is also very important in terms of other things I mean I just think as a so I've, I'm a poet a playwright a performer I write libretto or leader um, I collaborate with dancers I collaborate a lot with musicians anybody who's seen me perform understands that that I'm a musician but my text or my instrument is words and my instrument is my voice I partly sing partly speak work I write um, extensively both in my scholarly work but also in my creative work about jazz and blues music I'm fascinated by those genres I'm fascinated by the history of that music and the politics of that music and um, the protagonists within that who um, you know, for me and my own scholarly work are um, women singers. I'm, that's what I'm fascinated by and I, I, I explore. But I also think about 
the residences that I've had, which going back to your point about place have allowed me access to places I couldn't have imagined I would be able to access. So I am historically the inaugural parliamentary writer in residence. I worked in the Houses of Parliament for a year and a half between two, well, 2007 and into 2008, connected with a major exhibition in Westminster Hall. That meant that I was able to access archive spaces that I wouldn't have been able to without that residency. I performed on the steps of Westminster Hall to a capacity crowd that included my mother and I was incredibly proud that she was there, my mother who left school without any qualifications and had left school by the time she was 15 and who was written off and sent to secondary modern etc was there watching me take that space and that was really important. Access for me is not just about a physical literal space, it's about access to intellectual spaces, access to cerebral spaces, it's about travel. You know, um, Brodsky talks about uh, poetry being the song of the nomad, prose is the farmer who stays. And I think I'm a nomad, I move, I come from you know, a father who fled the Biafran War. I um, come from people who have moved, who have travelled, who have had to move. And I think that that, there, that idea of the poetry being the song of the nomad is something that, that, that sings in me. A lot of my work takes me to other places. So my sense of place, yes, Leeds is my home. It's the city I live in. It's the city I've chosen for the last 25 years. Um, I'm a Londoner and London is also my home as much as in many ways creatively, um, in terms of inspiration, New York is my home. Also, I have friends there who I love, and but as a city, it's a city in which I feel strongly a sense that I make sense. My mixedness, my mixed heritage-ness makes sense there. My, um, my creativity makes sense there. So place means different things and it isn't just one static place and it certainly isn't the place that I live. And I would say that that then applies to the creative work. I don't feel I just have one home. Home for me as a creative is about the project. It's about the encounter. I could meet a filmmaker and therefore I could decide within that moment, yes, we're gonna collaborate. And the encounter will decide the form that that collaboration takes. So. I love that. I don't have a static mode of working. And part of me doing my PhD, which I'm currently writing up, was about breaking apart who I am creatively. And, you know, I write lectures that are part poem. Is this a poem? Is this a lecture? My lectures are set to double bass and piano. So they're constantly challenging the notion of, ah, oh, that's an essay. No, it's not. I write essays. I have one that was published last year, in August last year, by New York University Press in a beautiful book called Imagining Queer Methods, which is all about how we teach queer theory. And my essay takes the form of a script. So it's a multi-voice script, but it's an essay. Different people within the educational space will perform that. And that essay is scored with original composition by Jenny Malloy, the double bassist and composer. And it's not only an intertextual reference to Du Bois and particularly a book called Souls of Black Folk, which is a series of scored essays. It's also a reference to this idea of the kind of multimodal nature of the way that I like to work. As a creative, I have homes in lots of places. It's not one static place. And I think that's the beauty of life, is to feel at home in different spaces. This is the second year of Leeds Lit Fest. 
it's great. I mean, People Tree is my publisher. That's fantastic to see them as part of the launch program, which is on Wednesday the 5th of February. Fantastic. And people like Roger Robinson, who's just won the T.S. Eliot Prize, will be performing that night. Biggest prize that there is in terms of poetry in this country. And Roger has won that. And he's with People Tree, which is the biggest distributor of Caribbean fiction and poetry anywhere in the world. And it has what might appear to be a small base physical base in Burley in Leeds but its reach is global and that's a really interesting metaphor for not only People Tree as a publisher it's global reach but I think for Leeds and there's kind of an ambition a sort of way in which the city has a global reach so yeah that's one of the things that I'm very much looking forward to to being at. The podcast you've just heard was made by Chapel FM commissioned by Leeds Litfest and funded by Leeds Inspired part of Leeds City Council. Each writer profile was recorded on location in an environment in or around the city of Leeds, chosen by the writer. All events in Leeds Litfest 2020, March 4th to the 8th, can be booked at www.leedslitfest.co.uk.